the scripture reading, probably this has never happened before. But you know, there's a first time for everything. You mentioned about Thursday night coming with tears, crying, sadness. I started tonight. So pray that I get through this. This evening, this evening I'll be reading from uh, the fourth gospel of the New Testament, the book of John, chapter 12. Verses 27 to 34. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said, it had thundered, another said, an angel had spoken to them. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. And all the people said, Amen. Join me in prayer. God, we confess that we are so dependent upon you even to know truth, even to make sense of what you speak. And so we pray, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit to, uh, to shine the light of truth into our hearts, to illumine our hearts so that we might see, so that we might know, so that we might embrace the light. In Jesus' name, amen. So for this Advent season, we have been focusing on this, this biblical theme of light into darkness, and we've been using the Gospel of John to explore that theme, because it's been a big theme in the Gospel of John. John boldly proclaims Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the light of life, the light of all people, the light that brings life. And those sorts of claims, you can imagine, evoke 
evoke a lot of strong reactions, big reactions. Christmas does that. I don't know if you notice. Christmas evokes some strong reactions. And I'm not thinking about um, the reactions you have when you go into a store and you can't stand listening to Mariah Carey sing one more time. Not that reaction. We're not thinking about that. We're not thinking about, you know, the cranky person who keeps whining about why Starbucks doesn't say Merry Christmas or why they call it a winter tree as opposed to a Christmas tree. That's not the strong emotions or reactions I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about some of the emotions or reactions that happened in history when the news of Christmas was announced. Think of the shepherds who were freaked out. That is what Luke says. He uses two Greek words, meaning fearfully fearful, translated freaked out. But then they experienced great joy, this massive pendulum swing in emotion. Think of the wise men, these magi, these learned, esteemed men from the East who come and what do they do when they encounter this child? They worship, they bow down and worship the, this baby. That's, that's a rather extreme reaction. Think of Herod, King Herod, who, you can think of King Herod as sort of this combination of Kim Jong-un and Bashar al-Assad, all rolled up into one murderous tyrant, right? That this is Herod. Who, who sends out death squads to take care of Jesus, and when Jesus can't be taken care of, takes care of all the two-year-olds in the region. Extreme reactions to Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. There is never, in response to Jesus, in response to Christian, the, the rather mild or sentimental reaction. There is no one who looks at Jesus and says, oh, dear tiny Jesus, with your golden fleece diapers, with your tiny little hands, so cute. There's none of that. There's no sentimentality around Christmas at all, the, because it doesn't fit with the claims of Christmas. It doesn't fit with the, the reality of what is happening in Jesus. The light of Jesus calls for a response, absolutely. It elicits a response, and it calls for a response for us. And that window of opportunity through which the light of Jesus shines isn't a window that's open forever. Jesus, in this passage, says, don't miss the light. Jesus calls us to walk in the light while we yet have light. This passage we heard read, comes in the context of the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus is days away from being dead and buried, crucified. And Jesus says, my soul is troubled. He knows what's coming. He's deeply disturbed. What shall I say? Father, spare me from this hour? No. It's for this very reason I have come to this hour. In the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus uses that term, the hour, this hour, Jesus is talking about his death. Very clear reference to it all the time. He's referring to the cross, that moment when he's going to be lifted up, hoisted up on that cross for the sake of the world, offering his life. 
Jesus is facing this intense darkness and he is profoundly troubled. The darkness of, of all the evil of the world, the darkness of all of our sin placed upon him. And he's troubled. Now maybe you're thinking, why are you even talking about this passage? Because this is Christmas time. This is a Good Friday passage, Phil. You got your seasons mixed up. But if it's really important for us even to focus in on this, because the line between Christmas and the cross is, is really a direct line. What began in a manger gets wrapped up on a cross. The cross of Jesus Christ, the, the self-giving sacrifice of God for us, this is actually the light of which Jesus is. This is the glorious light that Christmas announces to us. As Jesus said, it was for this very purpose that I came. It was for this very purpose that Jesus was born. If you want to understand Christmas at all, if you want to understand Jesus, if you want to understand the light of who he is, you need to understand the cross. Jesus is not just the cute little baby of God coming down to us. He's not just a good teacher. He's not another prophet. The cross is not, the cross is not an accidental uh, event in history. We will not know the brilliant light of God until we know Jesus Christ crucified. The glory of Christmas is God coming among us to do for us what we could never do ourselves. This is the repeated emphasis you see throughout the New Testament when it talks about Jesus and his life, his death. Think of Mark 10 where Jesus says, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in Galatians, Paul says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption, so that we might become children of God. Or John 3.16, where we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send the son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The life and the death of Jesus is the glorious light of Christmas. The glory and the light of Jesus is him substituting himself for us. Jesus taking our place when we have taken God's place. And the accounts of Jesus give us a sense of, of a pictural sense of that light. Because when Jesus was crucified, we read that darkness covered the whole world. The true light of the world was being extinguished and the world faced its darkest hour. But the darkness has never understood the light. Darkness confuses us. Darkness blinds us, doesn't it? It reduces our capacity to perceive things rightly. In the darkness, we, we can't make things out. We can't make sense of things. We're not perceiving things as they really are. You know what that's like, stumbling around in the dark. If you go camping and you take a walk in the forest at night without a flashlight, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> you're going to get lost. You're going to get scared. You wonder what's lurking in the shadows. And you have that same sense here in this passage of, of people who are just 
stumbling around in the dark. There, there's so much misunderstanding going on here in this passage, so much confusion. It's interesting. Jesus prays to his Father, and in response, there's a voice from heaven, and it's the Father speaking. And, and the crowd there hears something. There's a voice that clearly speaks, I have glorified you and I will glorify it, but all they heard was thunder. Some thought it was thunder. Others thought it was an angel speaking. But no one under, seems to understand what it was said. And they missed its meaning. And so Jesus then has to explain to them what's going on, what the meaning of the voice of the moment. And when Jesus does begin to explain this, there's, there's even more confusion going on. In verse 34, people are getting caught up in all the details, and they begin to quote scripture at Jesus, you know, well, the law, you know, tells us the Messiah is going to live forever. How can the Messiah die, Jesus, when you say you're going to be lifted up? That doesn't make sense. And they're only quoting scripture really to question, to doubt, to sort of keep the claims of what Jesus is making at a distance. They can't make sense of it all. And we see here, again, the, the power of darkness. Because even though Jesus says this voice is for them, they miss the meaning of it. The darkness has confused them. It's, it's scrambled their capacity to perceive. Even though the light shines right in front of them, they can't see it. God speaks from heaven, and they think it's thunder. God speaks on earth through his son in his voice, but they can't make any sense of it. That's the power of darkness. C.S. Lewis has a great um, way to picture the power of darkness to confuse, to sort of blind us. It comes from the Chronicles of Narnia, the very last book in that whole series. It's called The, the Last Battle. And in that, there's a group of dwarves who just can't believe in Aslan, who is the, the lion king of uh, Narnia. Because there was a false Aslan. There was a, a donkey that was dressed up as a lion and was duping, fooled everyone. And these dwarves got fooled, they got taken in, and they're not going to get taken in again. And so they settle instead for shadow, for darkness. And, and when Aslan returns and shows up, they, they say, where is he? Who is he? Show us. And even when Aslan provides this amazing feast for these dwarves, sets before them this grand, great feast of pies and pigeons and trifles and ices, and each dwarf with a goblet of good wine in his hand, even then, they, they can't see it. What's plainly in front of them, the dwarves believe they were eating things that would only be found in a stable, sort of like a raw, rotten piece of cabbage or dirty trough water. That's what they thought they were eating and drinking on. The dwarves only believe in what they see, but they can only see what they believe to be true. And any experience of the light before them has no effect because they are interpreting, they're filtering out all that is before them. And Aslan says this, this heartbreaking line, they will not let us help them. The prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that we cannot take them out. Oh man, that is a line that is so applicable to so many people I encounter 
Probably people you too. People who think of God, think of religion, and, and they're, they're so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out of themselves, out of this prison of darkness they sometimes encounter. Don't you think the people in the crowd that were surrounding Jesus when they heard the thunder were similarly like that? They hear thunder because they don't believe God can speak. And others who had rigid expectations of what a Savior or a Messiah can or cannot be, they can't make sense of Jesus because he doesn't fit what they believe a Messiah should be. So they cannot see what's plainly in front of them. They only see what they already believe. And the darkness, that's what darkness does. It blunts our senses, our capacity to take in reality as it is. Even those who attribute the voice to an angel, they show no understanding of what the voice means, what was said. They only know something was spoken, but they they miss its message. And that's not just them. We are so prone to this as well. That is the great danger of darkness. It can so confuse us and confound us. You know, there are people who, if they hear anything spiritual, anything, they they will rationalize it away. They They will come up with a naturalized explanation for it. So many people sense there's something more. There's a whisper from beyond time. There's a rumor of glory, and yet it gets quickly dismissed. It's thunder. Or maybe like those who um, heard the voice of God but thought it was an angel. The darkness can trick us, right? We, we can hear something that sounds vaguely spiritual and we assume it's true and we sort of don't exercise discernment. We end up not knowing its meaning then. This is what the darkness does. It blinds us to spiritual realities. So what are we supposed to do? Jesus instructs us. He says, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Those who walk in the dark do not know where they are going. So put your trust in the light while you have the light so you might become children of light. Jesus says, walk in the light and believe in the light. These are his instructions to people who are so prone to getting blinded and confused by darkness. But you hear that from Jesus and you think, really? It feels a little trite, Jesus. How can I trust the light when I'm still trying to understand what it's about? That's the challenge so many of us face, isn't it? Who experience darkness because we want to understand the light And we want to know it before we believe it. But here's the dynamic Jesus is getting at. The reality about knowing something, really the reality about knowing anything, you need to act on certain beliefs. You need to lean into the light, into the truth. We never learn anything except first by believing something. Knowing always begins with an opening of ourselves to some greater reality. One great philosopher and theologian, Anselm, captured it this way. He was was riffing off of a guy named Augustine, but he, he said this, brilliant. He says, I do not seek to understand in order to believe, 
but I believe in order to understand. And then he says this, for I believe this, unless I believe I will not understand. Let me read that again. I do not seek to understand in order to believe, but I believe first in order to understand. For I believe this, unless I believe I will not understand. All our understanding, our knowledge is based on faith presumptions. All of us believe something first before we begin to see what we believe in this world. You see this here, the crowd doesn't understand Jesus, the signs that they're given, the teaching that is Jesus has given them. But the only way for them to understand the truth, the light of Jesus, is to trust that Jesus is the light. And you might think, well, isn't that just sort of checking your brain at the door? And it's not that at all. This is actually the way we know, the way we understand. This is the way science works. Fascinating. We, we have a church filled with people of science. We've got professors and PhDs. We've got grad students. We've got engineers. We've got medical professionals, every sort. People of science believe, they believe what you, they see by using the scientific method. They observe they study the empirical world, but what drives their method of inquiry? A belief. A belief always drives their method of inquiry. A hypothesis. A hypothesis is a belief about something. You haven't proved that yet. That's what your study does. But it is a leaning into this glimmer of light that you see, I think, I think it's there. You, some glimmer of light, and you're leaning into that. And the whole hope of your study is that you will see and sense and record and measure what you assume, what you believe to be true. And the same dynamic, that very same reality plays out in terms of understanding Jesus Christ. Maybe you feel like, oh, I, I wish I had a little more information. I wish I could understand still more. And of course, we're, we're going to spend our lives understanding more of who Jesus is. But here, oftentimes we use that, oh, I need a little bit more to understand as, as a barrier or a way to, to keep Jesus at a distance. I know someone who's in that very place, someone close to me. He feels like he's missing some key piece of information. Always feels like he, he needs just something a little bit more to learn about Jesus before he can commit himself. Always looking for another book, for a better explanation, for a, a newer experience. Truth is, he has enough light to walk with Jesus. He just hasn't trusted the light yet, which breaks my heart for him. I bet you know people like that too. There's a blindness that darkens us, that the darkness presents. Here's, here's the reality all of us face in our lives and us as Christians. You and I will never get to the point where our understanding, our knowledge replaces faith. We'll never get to that point where finally all of our knowledge bumps faith out of the way and I don't need faith anymore because I fully understand then it's not faith, is it? There will always be a point where we need to take a step, where we need to risk and trust and believe, always. This is the risk everyone faces. And when you do trust, 
When you do believe, you find understanding and clarity come because it's like you have entered into a world. You're no longer looking from the outside in. All of a sudden, you're on the inside and a whole new world opens up for you where everything begins to make sense because you've received the light. And I know we're tempted to say, "Mm, that risk feels too big. I'm going to trust my own mind. I'm going to trust myself. But remember how the darkness confuses us, how it fools us. And you got to know the darkness is not passive. Even now, the darkness seeks to have you. Even those of us who have seen the light, who have received the light, the darkness plays with us, right? I bet you have felt this sense of the capacity to easily dismiss something that you might read in Scripture. To think, is that really relevant? The darkness is active and seeks to have even us. It actively works to blind, confuse. Listen to some of these passages from Scripture that talk about this. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about our enemy Satan. And it says, he is the God of this world who has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. This is part of his strategy. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. 2 Thessalonians 2 says this, the devil will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. Darkness intends for us to remain confused and blind and without life. The one who walks in darkness does not know where they are going. But if we trust in the light, we are changed. The light changes so changes us, it changes our identity so that we become children of light. This is our new identity. We are adopted by the Father of all light, and we are filled with his light. We are brought into God's love and his presence, adopted as his children. We give an access to all of God's riches, and all of this is possible because the light of the world once descended into darkness so that we might know this light. But I want to close with this. Take note of the urgency that Jesus extends this invitation. Did you sense it as that was read? There's this urgency. In the context of this passage, Jesus is obviously thinking about his own death. He's not going to be with his disciples much longer. But it is a word of caution, nonetheless, that still echoes through to us today. God in his grace has allowed the light of Christ to continue to shine But that window of opportunity through which the light of Christ shines, it will come to a close one day. And that day could be our own death, or that day could be the return of Jesus Christ, which during Advent we look forward to. But it will come to a close. And how we respond to the light will determine whether we spend an eternity bathe in the glory and light of our Father, or whether we spend an eternity far from God, which is a dark, dark place. And of course, our tendency, I know I get this, is to put it off, right? 
You know, we have a, such a strong tendency to resist what Jesus is saying here. Maybe we think, oh, there's still time. You know, I got time. But we don't know what the future holds for us. We don't. And you don't know how the darkness might shape and affect us, how it might harden our own hearts, so that maybe a couple of years from now, we are increasingly blind to whatever glimmer of light we might now sense. The sobering reality is that there can be a too late for us. Walk in the light. Well, there is still time, Jesus says. And when you do, the light of Jesus makes all things new. And this is the incentive to do that. You know the power of light. When light shines, and, and think of the, the spectrum of color that is in light. I mean, all things start to pop. You see clarity. You see definition. You see things beautifully. The light illumines all sorts of aspects of the life of God. It brings joy and peace and meaning and purpose, comfort here and now. And when you believe in the light, even when you don't fully understand it, when you trust in the light of Jesus, you become a child of the light, adopted by the Father of lights. God will lead you out of darkness into his eternal glorious light. This is the great hope of Christmas that a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That great light is Jesus who came into our darkness so that we might move from the night into the morning. So friends, walk in the light while there is still light. Let's pray. Father, we... We want the light. I think all of us here have got to be here because we've sensed, we've seen the light. Maybe it's just a glimmer, a glimpse. Maybe we've received the light fully. We know the hope, the life that lies there, God. And so our prayer is, would you keep us moving towards the light? Would you keep us trusting deeply in Jesus. In faith, there is enough light for those who want to believe God. And so we pray for the faith to trust the light so that we might see with greater clarity, so that we might see with eyes that are able to see deeper into what is real and true about you and about this world and about ourselves. We confess, Jesus, that we often live in darkness, and so when we see light, we sort of shade our eyes because the light might seem too bright. And so, Jesus, we pray, be gentle with us. Gently brighten our lives with your truth, with your life. Call us to the light so that we might be children of light. In your name we pray. Amen.